prank. twisted that so hard, I would actually send you to the hospital. Yeah, probably. The same. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cheap Smut. My name is Katie Mizell. And my name is Carl Mizell. And this is a podcast about smutty books and our awesome marriage. Yeah, in that order. Yeah. We try to keep our marriage uh, to a minimum and just let the chemistry of it come through Mm -hmm. instead of constantly talking about it. Yeah. But, you know, every now and then that slips out. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Today was a pretty good day. I mean, regular listeners will know that I'm still fucked up in the head. I mm-hmm. haven't gone to that therapy appointment yet because it just hasn't come up yet in my you know schedule. But like today was a good day and that's really all I can ask for anymore is one good day at a time. Exactly. And you just build it. You know, mm-hmm. two's a streak. Two's a streak. They don't ask how. They ask how many. Exactly. Kids got outside while I was mowing the lawn and- The boy child was riding his bike, and the girl child just decided to take you on a walk. Yeah, we went on a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. I was a little, like, sad about it, because every single time we walked up to, like, people, they crossed the street to get away from us. (laughs) Well, our daughter is intimidating. Yeah, I mean... If I saw that tiny terror running up on me with her, you know, bouncy little toddler run, I'd be terrified too. <laughs> it was weird. It was just like every single every single person we passed crossed the street before we could get to them. I'm sure they thought I, I'm sure that they were being courteous. Exa- exactly. It, but it was just like wh- why? <laughs> Honestly, I think it is one of the very few holdovers from 2020. Oh yeah, social distancing. Yeah, it's the one thing because I remember because I, I, I I'm avid avid jogger, and if I'm jogging on the sidewalk, which is where I normally do my jogging, because I'm not one of those assholes who jogs in the middle of the fucking street, but uh, peek behind the curtain there, and what I think about certain people, but. I remember back in 2020, you know, you you'd if bop you have up. sidewalks to jog exactly. on. Exactly. If you're lu- if you're lucky enough to have those, I remember people would you know give you like six feet or get you know cross the street that sort of thing or bounce over. And I because I, I don't feel like it happened a lot before 2020, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. you know, my- people with dogs have always done that, and that's yes. that's fine. I mean, if your dog is reactive or if you don't trust my kid around your dog, that I fully understand. A toddler and a stranger's dog is not a good combination. But if you're just like a couple of people walking up the street I'm like no don't go let me do that awkward white person smile at you it's my favorite thing to do it's how i acknowledge that i am not a threat <laughs> smile without showing my teeth is that why we do that i have no idea no, i just okay. made up some anthropology bullshit no that's fair well that's anthropology for you <laughs> anthropology is an actual study it's not just bullshit but sure <laughs> again tells you what i think of anthropology so what oh you know i i think we no i was gonna say we should t i was gonna say we were gonna i was gonna talk about but we haven't even finalized the plans yet that you were gonna we were gonna do a crossover and you were gonna join matt and i over on put me in coach oh yeah uh and tune in in that sort of thing but we haven't done it yet we haven't yeah. nailed it down. we basically haven't gotten confirmation that matt wants to do it this week is really all it is but you're gonna come over and put me in coach yes I just am. like matt came over onto our show yeah uh but now that that's out of the way mm-hmm. what are we re- what are we reading this week this week we are reading a soul to keep by opal rain is the first in the dusk walker bride series by opal rain okay um it is let's see here available for four dollars and 99 cents on kindle or through kindle unlimited unfortunately do not have a full content warning list for you this week there isn't one in the book and opal rain doesn't have a website and while that's fine i it it just doesn't give me a good way to like get a list Mm -hmm. because i haven't finished this book yet uh this book we will be doing in parts i'm hoping two to three Mm -hmm. depending um but until I finish it, I can't know exactly what all the content is. So yeah. I will tell you that for this week, for the part of the book that I read, content warnings include religious overtones and religious trauma, abuse, death, gore, blood, and monsters. I mean, <laughs> he, he he's not human. He's definitely a monster this week. Okay. Um, and it, it is dark. It is emotionally um, very complex. 
and what happens to our FMC throughout the course of the parts of the book I've read so far are dark. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. It's a great book. I'm really enjoying it. But but it's it's considerably longer oh God, than, yeah. than most of the books yeah. that you read. So we are going to take it at our own pace. We are going to uh, make it make sure that it's not too taxing on you to consume this book because we've always said we want this to be fun we don't want it to be a job yes so i hate i hate hate that it's i don't want to i don't want it to sound like i'm intellectually lazy or something i read really really slow yeah i always have i've always been an a voracious reader but there's a reason why i pick short books for this show Mm -hmm. because i read really slow and reading a book a week is not easy for me to do yeah which is fine read at whatever pace you like you know, yeah. but when I have to be, you know, accountable to this podcast, I can't read a big tome every single week. No, and, but that, but, and it's not me talking about intellectual laziness. It's me talking about the fact that you're a stay-at-home parent. You have responsibilities, you know, on top of this podcast. I just yeah. don't want ever want it to make. I don't ever want it to be an additional stressor to you. So, folks, if you're listening and you're like, I don't know if I want to stick around for three episodes. Hey, man, dip out for this one if it's not for you. That's okay. We totally understand. We got a backlog. Maybe go back and dip into something you haven't listened to yet. But we just want to make sure that we're creating the best content that is as minimally stressful on us uh, as possible and is enjoyable for you, the listener. Yeah. So because this is a hobby. Exactly. And your hobbies should never stress you out. Exactly. All right, so shall we begin with our story this week? Pitter patter. All right. In a world. <laughs> You've always wanted to do that. I have. I've always wanted to do that. In a world where demons exist. Um, so this world. Oh, is... oh, I want. I'm sorry. I, I was. I didn't mean to stop you there. How far into the book are you? Chapter twenty five percent. I just finished chapter ten, I believe. Okay, so I just want it for the listeners. So we'll be going up through about chapter ten today. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Thank you. So there is a, a a beautiful prologue that establishes the reality of this world. The world building in this book is really fantastic. And the way that the information is parsed out to the reader is also really fantastic. But it makes it difficult to make. I was telling you this the other night. It makes it difficult for me to make notes because usually I can just sort of go, oh, that's an important thing. I need to write that down. But like every single thing is important because it's so densely packed with information. Mm-hmm. So perhaps I am giving more information than I need to give or writing down more than I need to write. But who cares? So this nebulous fantasy world that we live in, once again, like so many of the other books that we have read up to this point, demons are real and they roam the land freely. They are ugly, half humanoid, half monstrous, like sort of creatures that live in the perpetually shaded forest of this world called the Veil. This perpetually shaded forest is like... The way it's described is like it's inside of a massive crater Mm -hmm. because it's surrounded on all sides by sheer cliff faces. And the cliffs are so tall that that it blocks out sunlight inside of the veil. So it's always dark there. Mm. And um, that's where the demons come from. This veil takes up approximately a quarter of the land mass of the continent that they're on. So not in it, not a not insignificant amount of land. Yes. And it's uh, it sits right in the middle of the two halves of this world. Hmm. So you can't go around it. That's the thing I'm not entirely clear on. I tried to look up maps and stuff, but there there isn't that kind of content available for this book. I'm not entirely clear on why you can't go around the veil if you wanted to travel to the other side of the continent. But you can't. Planet's flat. I, I don't know. Perhaps it is. Maybe this <laughs> one is flat. What do you mean, this one? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I understand basic science. Seriously, though, today I was scrolling through TikTok and I got on a live where they were literally debating whether the earth was flat or not. <laughs> slow, I was like, slow news day for those people. <sighs> why? I mean, I scrolled on to another live that was fantastic. It was a deep conversation about, you know, racism in the United States. And that was a great live, but some of the lives are just there to like be, be ridiculous. Like yeah, we're here to discuss whether or not the earth is flat anyway. So the veil is surrounded by a thick wall of black fog that never drifts off. And most demons live inside the veil, but some demons come out of the veil and attack humans. 
the more humans a demon eats, the bigger and more powerful it becomes. So people live in perpetual fear of demons. The only ways that they live are one of two ways. One, they live in small cities that are completely surrounded by tall walls. Or they live in isolated single family homes in like clearings of forests that they have carved out for themselves. Either way, they don't go out at night because demons can't go out in the sunlight. That's the only way that they can travel around, even walking around their own cities. In the city that our FMC Raya lives in, they won't even like stand in the shadows because a winged demon could fly down and just snatch you out <laughs> from or something the shadows. of a shadow. Wow. It's it's crazy, but these they are not fucking around. Demons are the most terrifying element of the world that they live in. Okay. The other thing they say is that demons will intentionally try to make you afraid as afraid as possible because fear like flavors the meat i was just gonna say it's like salt yeah it's an irresistible smell the more afraid you are the more they want to eat you and they will intentionally make you more afraid to make you taste better there are some humans who can do magic and those humans often don't get eaten because magic apparently tastes bad um uh especially scariest of all the demons Although later in the book they confirm that they are not actually demons, are the dusk walkers. They are intelligent, vicious, strong, and destructive. The dusk walker in this book is a seven foot nine t- inches tall. Well, he's seven foot two, and then he has antlers that make him seven foot nine. Um, very large, very broad, jacked sort of creature. Um, so just shy of three meters for our. Our international yeah. listeners. Yeah, there you go. He has a wolf-like skull for a head. He does okay. not have a face. Um, his eyes are glowing like points of light inside of the sockets. And he walks around on two legs. He wears pants and a shirt and a cloak at all times um, whenever he is seen in public. He's also occasionally followed around by two dogs. So he's a stylish demon that likes to accessorize. Yeah. The arrival of a Duskwalker is considered a bad omen for both humans, demons, for humans, demons, and animals because they will eat anything and they are incredibly strong and very destructive. The demon population fears the Duskwalkers just as much as the human population does. In this series, the Dusk Walker in question, his name is Orpheus, he takes a quote-unquote bride as sacrifice every 10 years in exchange for a protection rune that he casts on the town that gives him the bride. Mm. Um, and that just gives them the, the, like the teeniest bit more protection from demons, but they don't really say that there's any way to truly protect yourself completely. <laughs> you just got to g- give them a woman every 10 years. Yeah, you have to give him, not a woman, a person. Oh, you said, okay. All right, I yeah, I was uh, getting a little heteronormative there, but you said bride, so I took it to be. Yeah. This year, in this book, the our FMC, her name is Raya Salvius, is going to be his bride. She has been raised in this town, sort of. She's been othered and ostracized since she was a child because her entire family was killed by demons while she hid in a corner and had to listen to them die. That doesn't sound very nice of them. Oh, it's... Oh, that's the girl whose family got killed by those things were terrified will kill us. Yeah. So then the next day she woke, she left her cabin and she went to town to tell them that her family had been killed. And on her way back from... On their way back from them, like, surveying the scene of her her trauma, the townspeople who were with her also got attacked and killed by a demon. So now she has been labeled an omen. She is herself a bad omen. That no, no one will talk to her, make eye contact with her, touch her body. She is kept, like, in a shack that they built for her, and they give her food and clothes, and that's about it. But nobody is allowed to interact with her in any way. Otherwise, you might also die. Mm -hmm. Like, she's been treated very poorly by this community. But really what's been happening is they've been just saving her and 
now they're intending on using her as the sacrifice. Yeah. It's a lot easier to hand a person over to the big scary dusk walker if you've already taught the entire town that she's not to be trusted and is it and is herself a bad person. So Yeah. Deep religious trauma. <laughs> um at the beginning of the book, Raya has been bathed, styled, coiffed, and dressed in a bridal gown with a trailing long lace sleeves and a flower crown. She believes full f- fully that this event will lead to her death one way or the other. She uh, is only going because she is so fucking angry at her treatment in this town and at her their choice to sacrifice her that she doesn't want to be there anymore and she sees this as her one chance to gain freedom in any capacity Mm -hmm. she's hoping what happens after that is that she can run away right and if she is not sacrificed if she does not agree to go she will be put in an underground prison cell for the rest of her life yeah the options are (laughs) go with the big scary monster or we bury you underground in yeah. a concrete box. I think I'd take my chances with the monster. Yeah, exactly. So while I do have sympathy for the humans at large, like the po- the human population for the way that they're hunted down by demons, I also hate them <laughs> very much for the way that yeah. they have decided to treat this entire situation. Apparently this continent, like this half of the continent is pretty large and the towns that are further away from the veil may never see a demon at all and they certainly probably would never see a dusk walker mm. but this town is pretty close to the veil so they've developed a, a religious ideology that gives them the internal permission they need to be as evil as the monsters that they perceive the demons to be basically once Raya gets to the town square where she has like a couple of conversations with some of the people who live in town. Orpheus arrives. He is massive and spectral and he's got his dogs with him and he terrifies the entire town. Nobody wants to talk to him or look at him except to give him the offering and hope that he goes away and gives them their magic and like that's it he has shoved grass and dirt up his nose to form mud so that he can't smell them because if they're afraid he'll want to attack them instinctively Mm -hmm. but he has enough like functioning brain like higher brain power that he doesn't want to do that he wants to take his bride and go so he walks into the square he is presented with raya as well as two other options <laughs> and he immediately picks raya but he picks her because yeah she smells afraid but more than anything she smells angry mm-hmm. and he wants to eliminate whatever has angered her or remove her from the situation that has angered her he's intrigued by her and the fact that she's not just stone stiff terrified of him and so he picks her and she doesn't really have another choice so no. she goes with him <laughs> they pro- they didn't put as much effort into the other two girls they're really, st- really one boy oh thank one you boy, one girl thank you for correcting me again uh they didn't put as much effort into gussying up the other folks no i mean they, they really did but they really shoved raya through, kicked like, her fr- yeah <laughs> dragged her through yield david's bridal until she was ready to uh be sacrificed but yeah there are two other there are two other um brides they always call them brides okay. male or female yeah no, I, I gotta i gotta rewire my heteronormative brain there orpheus prefers the female brides but only because they are less likely to try and attack him men will attack him men tend to be violent and think they can solve their problems with violence more than women do yeah. So he does prefer the female brides, but that's he doesn't care one way or the other. Orpheus does not look at people as sex objects. He's just lonely Mm -hmm. and he wants a friend. And this is how he has managed to barter an attempt at friendship. He has had 18 previous brides. None of them have survived more than a few days. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just I'm confused. he's so bad at friendship he's very bad at friendship that they just keep like does he not know how to keep a human alive like is is he like my mom and plants yeah 
Okay. He doesn't know how to keep people alive. He doesn't really understand humanity. This entire book is really fascinating from the the parts from Orpheus's perspective because he inherited his humanity from eating other humans. They never shy away from the fact that he eats people. He right. ate some of his previous brides. But he is also now aware enough to know how to keep himself from doing that. And that's by eliminating some of the baser nature stuff. So he shoves mud up his nose hole so that he can't smell fear. And he later in the book will tell Raya that the fact that she doesn't run away from him means that she's less likely to be eaten because she doesn't trigger his 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 predator reflex. Mm -hmm. He also he doesn't understand human emotions same i wanted to say this and i i'm worried that it's going to sound bad but i think of orpheus as an autistic person and it makes Mm -hmm. it easier to understand him he doesn't understand emotions Mm -hmm. similar to how you don't understand emotions and And you're the biggest autistic presence in my life yes so you are not a monolith but no 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 i I I am i i am not a monolith but i i have often said to you and we've said that to our, our, our fellow uh, autistic friend that uh, one, one of the things that we value in, in our partner is uh, using sort of like y- using your emotions as sort of a bellwether. Like, I- am I am I doing this right? Is this is this the way I'm supposed to feel right now? Um, so, no, that's a totally astute observation on your part. Uh, hold on one second. I got to turn your mic back up. There you go. Okay. So learning this world from Orpheus's perspective is in itself fascinating. He has feelings and he cannot interpret them because he inherited them from humans that he ate. Right. He's not a person. He is a monster and or a beast or if monster has too many negative connotations for you. He cannot be human. No. So he doesn't understand humans. And watching him learn more about humans while he gets to know Raya is fascinating. It 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 sounds kind of like trying to learn it's try it's like trying to learn about a culture by watching it that culture's movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like it's like what like we we consume more Bollywood than the average American probably. But the average white American. Definitely sure. the average white American. Um but we that is just but a glimpse of of various elements of indian culture we would never oh yeah like i would never claim to understand (laughs) indian culture because i watch a lot of bollywood exactly i just understand indian film culture yeah it just that's kind of what it seems like is like he he understands it from a a certainly part of it because there's also several other sects of Exactly. film that we don't watch exactly there's bollywood there's tollywood there's anyway but point is that's what it feels like is that he's he's consuming the culture literally mm-hmm. um but not truly being part of that culture yeah so while i'm thinking about it here is a uh fan art picture of orpheus that i pulled off of reddit yeah that's about what i pictured orpheus and raya and it's also a pretty good size comparison yeah she's five foot six he's seven foot nine with his horns so Looks very much like the creature from the uh, the manga that I've been re- that I started reading. Put down the girl from the other side. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, similar stuff. Yeah, very much. The detailed analysis of emotions in this book really scratches the some parts of my brain. I, I, I love to like hyper fixate on human emotions and try to understand and explain all of them. So this book is great for that if you're really into that. After all of their business in the clearing is done. She has agreed to be his quote-unquote bride. He has done the spell. He has to have human blood to do the spell, so he, like, pricks her hand and uses one drop of blood to make this spell happen. They leave. She does her best to keep up with him, but he is two feet taller than she is, and there's, like, a foot of snow on the ground. So she walks with him as long as she can, and while they walk, they begin their initial conversations, the getting to know you stuff, like I said, I'm in chapter 10 and we're still in the getting to know you oh, portion. Oh boy. So, but it's, it's... Dance. Yeah, it's difficult to like really explain how hard it is for them to get to know each other when Raya literally only thinks of demons and duskwalkers as 
horrible beasts that she can never understand who thirst for her blood at all times. Mm -hmm. And he has never met a human who would talk to him. Right. You know, like it's it's deep. The getting to know you stuff is so deep, but it makes the we just now started getting into the romance part in chapter 10. It makes it feel very real Mm. and very earned. But it also sounds like it could be the, the, the premise for a wacky sitcom. Oh yeah. She she's an ostracized woman. He's an eight foot tall demon. <laughs> they don't understand each other. <laughs> if this was nineteen eighty four, yes. Yeah, I can hear the theme song. Yep. I can see the credits. Do, 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 exactly. Yep. Anyway, after a while, she falls like one too many times in the snow. So he picks her up and he carries her in the crook of his arm. Like in that picture I showed you. similar to how I carry the toddler around the house because she prefers not to walk if mommy will pick her up. Yeah. Does Raya also just lift her arms up and go up? Up. Up. Thank you. No, no, she doesn't do that. Um, He carries her easily. He carries her all night. And he decides that he's not going to put her down until they reach home because he knows that if he puts her down again, she'll probably run. (laughs) So he's just going to keep holding her. I was going to say, probably because he'll get annoyed if she falls again, because that's what I would do. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't get annoyed with her like at all, ever. But he doesn't also, I don't think he has the capacity for being annoyed. Oh, must Um, be nice. She falls asleep in his arms and he sort of watches her sleep. And the way that he does, like the way that Opal Rain writes it is like in order for him to look at her, he has to like turn his head like this. Okay. To look down. Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Very unnatural. Yeah. uh, Because he doesn't have eyes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to like, trying to figure out a way to explain. Is it try to put your chin on your collarbone? Yeah. Like that's what Katie's doing right now. Like trying to put your chin on your collarbone or, or your ear right on your shoulder joint. Yeah. Like that's kind of. It's weird. Yeah. He like looks down and to do that, he has to move his entire head. Interactive podcasts. So she falls asleep in his arms and in the morning he watches her wake up and his thoughts are so fucking poetic <laughs> about how beautiful the sight of a human waking up in the early morning light is Mm -hmm. and like the fluttering of the eyelashes and the smooth pale skin and the the sort of shimmering quality of the light in her hair but he doesn't mean her specifically yeah there is a portion of this book where i think he thinks of raya more like a pet yeah than like a person so it would be like how i look at our cat danny sometimes and go god you're so beautiful you're just yeah. so beautiful because you're all big and orange and fluffy and your eyeballs match your fur i you was know? gonna say brother you have not seen me wake up <laughs> none of those things mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> cursed with existence uh, no, that's not really it. But I, I very rarely wake up perky, yeah, and, and bright. Yeah, well, neither do I. <laughs> anyway, uh, while while he's carrying her as she's waking up, this is also the point where he he really thinks he just takes a long consideration to the fact that he could squeeze her until she popped <laughs> if he wanted to. Like he's so much stronger than her, yeah, and he has to be aware of that at all times, or he will kill her on accident. Yeah, um, that's how I felt when our children were born. Seriously, yeah. like seriously yeah, oh yeah babies I, babies I, are terrifyingly small and you could just yeah kill them and i'm a large person yeah. so yeah it's, I, wor- it's, I worry about that <laughs> who actively works to get stronger yeah. um after she wakes up fully they have a conversation this is where they discuss the magic mm-hmm. elements of this world that we need to know so he can do magic and the reason he can do magic is because he ate some people who could do magic <laughs> um easy peasy yeah he can't do major magic. He can only do minor magic. Um, and he understands some protective, like, charm magic that mm. doesn't necessarily require actual, like, bloodletting. Because all of his magic involves blood, having okay. to draw blood of some kind. But just, like, he he understands how to, like, tie together the right herbs with the right ribbons to, like, make a protection charm and that kind of stuff, too. Um, Seems like a hassle to need blood for your magic. Yeah. It is, especially for him, because 
as he loses blood, he also loses physical strength and power. So if he loses too much blood, he won't be able to do magic anymore. Ooh, um, but most of his magic only involves needing a couple of drops at a time. Mm, good. So it's not that big of a deal. Having said that, I don't know what's coming. Perhaps it will be a big deal later. Um, I bet it's him. Wink. <laughs> he says somebody out there is somebody out there who is more powerful than him, but he doesn't want to talk about foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> the, he, he references several times that there is someone out there who knows something important, but Raya's never going to meet that person because he just won't let it happen. So something's coming something big and it's all foreshadowing they have a fairly tender moment while they're walking through the woods at this point like she she calls him by his name and no human has ever used his name before in any of the previous companions that he's had they've all just called him Duskwalker. they've never even thought to ask him his name and the way that she says his name is what gets him because she says it's sort of softly and delicately mm. rather than cruelly and his it makes his eyes turn i want to say purple <laughs> his eyes change color depending on what he's feeling That's and so weird yeah it's the only indication that he has because he doesn't have face it's the only thing that she can do to read him because he doesn't have a face. Mm. So he doesn't have any of the normal facial structure that like the little things that we learn to read in a human face. Yeah. And I think it's a really fascinating workaround to that problem. And also, I don't know what all the colors mean yet, but I really do want, I, I want to like make a list. I know. So I, I, I know for sure. I can't wait to, to see what color his eyes get when he's horny. I'm going to guess pink. <laughs> Because uh, I think I've seen it in the in the fan art. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so normally his eyes are blue. Occasionally, so far in this book, they have turned yellow and purple and red. Red is the bad color. You do not want to be around Orpheus when his eyes turn red. Yeah. Because that's when he's at his most violent and his most dangerous. Uh, yellow seems to be when he's pleased with something. And purple seems to be when he's like... Uh, lustful not lustful that isn't that's not right um low-key horny low-key horny i think they say desire so maybe yeah Yeah. low-key horny i I, i'm gonna pull back the curtain a little bit are you comfortable like that with that microphone it's going to fall in just a moment here i'm (laughs) sure of it it'll be just fine all right um anyway so it's at this point in the book where they are attacked by demon slayers demon slayers are people who have trained themselves to relieve themselves of the fear response because if they don't smell like fear then they can sneak up on demons easier and kill them and they're specifically waiting for orpheus because he comes through here every 10 years with Mm. a new bride he gets shot in the shoulder with an arrow he almost like he almost squeezes her to death because he's so angry in that moment that he she's like i can't breathe so he puts her down and a demon hunter comes over to her and she thinks oh good i'm saved and then immediately puts a sword to her neck to use her as bait Mm -hmm. or as collateral dam or as um punishment yeah if if orpheus doesn't do what they want they'll kill her orpheus then changes into his true form oh shit and his true form is just a bigger furrier version of his original form basically without the clothes and he has like he has so he has long dark fur like a bear i pictured a bear or something like that and then he has a skeletal structure on the outside of his body so his ribs are on the outside the bones in his hands are on the outside like his shoulder blades and his collarbone i think are on the outside too he also has a tail and his legs become less human-like and more wolf-like and and his eyes turn bright red and all of his clothes are gone except for his cloak because his cloak is an actual like thing his clothes are he makes them with 
like illusion magic basically his eyes turn red he attacks he attacks the demon slayer and immediately eats him and raya is just like betrayed and pissed off that the humans are going to kill her because she thought the humans were her salvation so once he starts coming after the the other demon slayer that has the sword to raya's throat he the demon slayer pushes her away to defend himself and she just books she starts running Mm -hmm. so she gets like i don't know i'm gonna guess maybe half a mile away and she hears him chasing after her in the woods but she's far enough away from him that she can't see him and then at some point she decides you know what fuck this he's either going to catch me or I'm going like, or I'm going to stop and he can just kill me. But mm-hmm. either way, I'm not running anymore. Like, I don't want to like, if it were me personally, I'd be like, I don't want to die out of breath. <laughs> yeah. I want to die at least comfortably. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sick of huff puffing. I just want to, st- so she stops and she turns around and she waits for him to show up and he runs through the clearing at her and he bowls her over. And this part of the book scared the, pants off of me he so she's laying on the ground he's a giant right yeah. i'm gonna use some visual aids for my husband here so she's lying on the ground this is her head and he just puts his whole fucking mouth around her head <laughs> and is like licking her face mm. and he's on top of her mm. he uh, she obviously can't get up this is in no way sexy it's only scary yeah no this is unpleasant um and his like so his like his bottom jaw and his muzzle can touch the ground Mm -hmm. around her skull he's just gonna chomp her head off and then she starts laughing hysterically probably because the situation is just so fucking ridiculous like yeah first my family were killed by demons and then the people i called to help were killed by demons and then i lived ostracized for the next 10 years of my life on the outskirts of this horrible fucking town and now i'm gonna be eaten by a fucking demon like Mm -hmm. And, it's just blow after blow for poor Ryan. <laughs> and but 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 I, I I'm I'm hoping that what we're seeing is that this is like the demon equivalent of like somebody loosening the top of the salt shaker, because like if fear makes it taste so much better than being laughed at. <laughs> Actually, no. Well, oh. so it's not that it makes it like it's not like it makes it her taste bad yeah. for her to laugh at him. But what ends up happening is he pulls back because she's not afraid. He like she doesn't really smell or taste that much like fear and nobody has ever laughed before being eaten before and he just plain finds it intriguing. <laughs> I, I, He's I, just I, curious I, about this fucking crazy woman. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I mean, as much as I would have liked it to have been my idea, that's actually very accurate. I would like to think if I was an eight foot tall demon who was trying to chew somebody's head off and they started laughing at me, I'd be a little intrigued as well. Yeah. Um, so at this point, like he turns back into what I call soft Orpheus, the, the Orpheus with clothes on, basically, who's hiding. He's sort of ashamed of the way his body looks, or at least he wants to keep it hidden because he doesn't want to scare her. Orpheus. So he always wears his clothes around her. He also has gloves on, by the way. He's like wears like leather gloves mm. all the time too. Um, well, those are just cool. Yeah, yeah, he's just cool, and he gets. He gets his first real whiff of her, her smell, because she, like, when she was first sacrificed, she was, like, perfumed and quaffed and stuff. He says she smells like elderberries and red roses. And there is so much of this fucking book dedicated to how the other one smells. <laughs> to to Raya, Orpheus smells like smoked mahogany and pine, I think. And to Orpheus, Raya smells like elderberry and red roses. And I shit you not... I have read at least six whole pages dedicated to smells. But this is the first time that he smells her. And nobody ever smells like one thing. Oh, yeah. At least they didn't. Okay. I might, this might be a divisive statement, but there is a phrase in books that I hate, and it is this. I'll just use you as an example. He smelled like sage and cucumber and something uniquely Carl. <laughs> I hate it. It's it's like I understand the rule of threes, but I can't be bothered to think of a third thing. <laughs> well, there's just like there's something that's supposed to be like unique and special and undefinable about it, but mostly it just sounds like I couldn't think of a third thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um. Anyway, so he licks her after that. Like he likes her smell so much that he licks her, including like he licks inside her dress. Like he mm. licks her titties. 
just because he thinks she smells good. Yeah. So he's like, what does she taste like? And this he has is, no again, concept of not a of sexual titties. thing. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't really have a concept of titties or anything like that. He just licks her chest. What a sad existence. <laughs> Orpheus he doesn't know about titties yeah. <laughs> I mean he's obviously seen few and eaten several um but he has no larger context yeah, for yeah for, them. for the sexualization of the female form he tells her at that point that he was going to eat her but he stopped because she laughed and he then tells her that his life that her life is precious to him and he will do whatever he can to protect her but that now that does have to include telling her when to stop doing the thing that will get him to kill her yeah there are several times throughout this book where I'm like, is he threatening her? No, I really think he's just being very matter of fact. If you do that, I'm going to eat you. I don't want to eat you. I don't feel good about saying that, but I'm gonna. Yeah. So he tells her that. And then later he tells her that the fact that she wasn't running away is ultimately what probably stopped him from eating her because she didn't trigger the prey response when he... When he saw her standing mm. in that clearing, <laughs> he's like, "Oh man, she's they, just standing there." Yeah. Ugh, I was gonna eat her. He kind of likes it. He's sort of like, "It's like she was waiting for me." Yeah. So at that point in the conversation, she notices that he's hurt, and she offers to dress his wounds for him. So she starts tearing off strips of her her dress and like mm. wraps his arm and his torso because he's been stabbed a couple of times in the torso. And even though he's not gonna die from these wounds, she doesn't know that. She's just showing compassion. Yeah. However, I will say I'm not entirely sure how fucking big her dress was, but he's a very large creature. And she has a lot of dress left when she's done with this. <laughs> but she has wrapped his entire torso in big swaths of fabric. Wow. That seems like it would take a lot. Now, what, what good is the exoskeleton if it's if it's not going to protect you from all those wounds? I don't You know what? I'm not entirely sure. Right. But he, they are stab wounds. So, like, yeah. your ribs will protect your heart if you get stabbed. But they won't if you stab between the ribs. Yeah, that's you know? fair. He lets her bandage him because she is gentle and respectful and like she asks consent before she starts like going around his body and he, he, a human has never cared about his well-being in his entire life mm -hmm. so and he is eons old he says so it's also just like a novelty and a fascination to him the conversation throughout this entire band bandaging is really dense and it's scattered with a lot of little bits of information that i think are going to be important later so i just wrote them down Demons prefer scavenging over hunting live prey. They, they just they'll just take a dead body if it's lying over there. Um, <laughs> Demons are smart. Yep. Work uh, smarter, not harder, guys. Exactly. Blood loss is power loss, as mm. I said earlier. The more blood Orpheus loses, the more power and strength he loses. And then there's also this is all also peppered through with personal conversation of things that we I think we need to know about the uh, characters themselves. So Raya wanted to be a demon hunter. She thought that that was probably what would what would be best for her because at the end of the day she would be free to wander the forest at will and not be so afraid. And Orpheus has no fucking idea what he is. He's not really. A demon mm -hmm. he's not really a human he is other everywhere but he's also more powerful than everyone so it doesn't really matter that he's other it's not like you know he's not marginalized he's just other yeah i'm, I'm, I'm feeling some strong connections to orpheus I yeah like, i like this guy yeah i think he would like orpheus like as a person he's kind of he's very sweet i've seen a lot of tiktoks and and like reddit posts about him being referred to as like a cinnamon roll he's a sweet cinnamon roll of a like a just a sweet little baby inside of a giant murderous demon shell yeah i definitely can relate yeah but like throughout the course of this what i've read so far he only really cares about like making her comfortable and mm -hmm. making sure that she feels safe and protected and i'm glad that they're communicating with yeah, each other yeah they do talk really well at this point she is still convinced she's going to run as soon as she possibly can he's still convinced she's going to run as soon as she possibly can but there's tentative like little like veins of friendship running yeah. through this right now um after she's finished bandaging him up she tells him that she is disturbed by the blood on his face and he's like oh i never considered that before and just like wipes <laughs> the blood off with some snow and sorry I, I live alone yeah <laughs> He offers to carry her again because she's so cold and he does it in this like sweet kind of flirtatious like gallant way. He bends down like bows down to her and puts his good arm down for her and he says let me melt your heart and his eyes turn purple. So whatever that means and the way that she reacts to that makes him like 
explode inside with like like a romantic pride thing or something. Yeah. I can't really explain it, but like he's so happy and excited that she smiled and blushed a little and like daintily stepped over and sat down on his arm so he could carry her because even though he's injured, he's still so strong. It doesn't matter. And that's the first like little hint of something more than just companionship growing inside of Orpheus as well. And then he says that as soon as she sits down in his arms, he feels no pain. He could just, he could just run forever. Yeah. He's just so proud. Um, and they just wrote two pages about her smell from his perspective and his smell from her perspective. <laughs> they talk about how about smells uh, so much. You smell good. No, you smell good. No, you smell good. <laughs> they don't talk to each other. This is internalized stuff. Oh. This is paragraphs of thoughts about smells. <laughs> Um, which from from the reader's perspective is great. It really adds to the world building when you add smell and sound and like texture and things like that. But at some point you go, wait, are we talking about fucking smoked mahogany and pine again? Yeah. You know, it's funny. You I s- love it. I love it all. I'm, I'm truly not making fun of it. No, I promise. No. It's funny you say that because I often think about that in terms of the video games that I play. Like Elden Ring, there are some places you go in Elden Ring where you're like, this can't smell good. This has got to smell like a, a whopper that's been left on the pavement for a while. <laughs> like there's no there's no way that this, there's no way that scarlet rot yeah. smells good, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I, I get it. I, I, I do appreciate it. I, 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 my brain, I mean, I tend to read nonfiction, um, so smell doesn't often come up in terms of like what did it smell like when all those baseball players were doing steroids um like a locker room like a locker room so uh, the idea of reading about it doesn't jive well with me but i under- i understand the value from a from that perspective yeah absolutely does it it, it just it's it's a depth of world building that gives gives the reader more to go on to build it inside their own head and that's great yeah after he picks her up and they walk on they have another conversation where he tells her that she is not his bride to be his bride she has to willingly give him her soul to keep and he he has given up on on ever getting that now he just wants a companion because he's so incredibly lonely Mm -hmm. um but in exchange for giving her soul to him she would be immortal as long as he was alive she would also live and raya just sort of like marvels at his loneliness like she's been lonely She's been lonely for several years, but he's been lonely for several, like, Eons. centuries yeah. of loneliness. And uh, he has become more human as he eats more humans. She realizes this. She never shies away from the fact that he's eaten people either. Like, we're not covering this up and pretending like it doesn't exist. He has eaten many humans, including some of his previous brides. She knows this. She's horrified by this, but it is the reality. It is what it is. And he's also the only one protecting her right now. So, mm. so they, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> no, really, truly they cannot. <laughs> they walk for like another day and they finally reach the veil. And um, as they walk into the fog, the fog smells so bad, like rotting flesh mm. that she has to shove her head under his cloak and just smell him instead because it's the only thing that she, like her eyes are watering. I was like, is this stuff like, is it like mace mm-hmm. or is it, it just smells that bad? They walk for like an entire day with her stuck under there. At some point he puts her down and she has to walk. Like she has to walk under his cloak to hide her smell from the rest of the demons who live in the veil. So she spends an entire day under his cloak, just wandering mm-hmm. through the forest until eventually they reach his house. And his house is a log cabin. A very well-constructed, he built it, Mm -hmm. a very well-constructed double-walled log cabin in a clearing in the deepest part of the Vale. He has comfort items. He has furniture. He has enough furs to, you know, suffocate a human being. Every, (laughs) every, like hanging or every surface has like stuff hanging off of it like little trinkets and baubles and crystals and bones and bird beaks and like cool shit the aesthetic of this sounded amazing i was like i totally want to go to this place i want to go to the place that has the big antler chandelier with crystals and bones hanging off it that sounds fucking cool i'll look it up on airbnb thanks baby and you might have to go to australia because i think opal rain is australian all right and all of the like everything inside of it is built to be accommodating to his size (laughs) 
So like the table's way too tall and the chairs are all really big for her. And kind of like when we go to the bathroom at my aunt Beth and uncle Paul's house. Yeah. <laughs> Cause everything's small there. Well, especially that bat me and they're all very short people. Mm-hmm. So when you go in the bathroom and my wife and I, Katie are both over six foot tall, you cannot see anything from like the neck up in the mirror in the mirror yeah (laughs) yeah that's true he has like protective charms that hang around um so he goes out to replace the protective charms because he's been gone for several days and while he does that raya snoops and uh she finds a dagger that's just laying out on a table and she vaguely like briefly considers fighting her way out and he silently comes up behind her and is like you do not want to do that you'll die yeah and again it's it feels like a threat it feels like it's supposed to be threatening but it's not it's a matter of fact observation Mm -hmm. if you stab me i will eat you yeah it's an if then statement (laughs) i i won't want to (laughs) it's not a it's not a malicious choice he it's like a constant reminder that he is part animal he's not a human being he doesn't have any of the moral quandaries about killing people he tells her that she has to go and bathe off her human scent and she's like that sounds amazing a bath and a hot meal and bed that's all i want and his bathroom is like super well appointed and he's got like big crystals everywhere and he burns herbs for incense and everything's candle lit because obviously there's no electricity and he's got this big tub that he he makes hot water by like dropping a couple of drops of his own blood in there and it turns into a full tub of hot water and it sounds so super cool and she's like this is great and then he walks back into the bathroom and he's like i have to wash your body (laughs) with this special soap i have to do it because you can't smell like yourself you have to i have to like wash you so you smell like me to keep your scent hidden from everyone else and i have to wash your body from head to toe twice a day that sounds sketchy. <laughs> it sounds sketchy, right? But yeah. it's not. It's just what they have to do. And it's a great, like, from the reader's perspective, it's a great excuse for there to be nudity every few pages. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it's fair. She is, th- this scene first initially is incredibly uncomfortable because he does not ask. He just starts doing it. And she starts fighting. And he has to, like, hold her in the tub. And she's trying to get away. And it f- it was really uncomfortable to read. Um, Until you realize that's what we do with our children sometimes yeah well yeah <laughs> sometimes you have to fight them into the bathtub because they've got syrup in their hair yeah um <laughs> you can't smell like mustard and cheetos all day yeah <laughs> mustard and our, our children don't eat mustard i know it's just, just the cheetos. first two things that popped um, in my head so it go but then it goes to being once once he explains it to her it goes to being incredibly clinical like he's still wearing his gloves and everything to try and give her like a like a better sense of detachment from the situation because he knows that if he touches her with his bare skin, she'll freak out. And then it actually gets kind of cute because he like tickles her feet. Not like in a gross way, but like... No, I can see it though. I can see this big demon. Tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> um, and he, uh, she, she laughs and then he laughs and she's like, holy shit, you can laugh? Um, he's like, holy shit, I can laugh. Yeah. So the next couple of days they um, spend trying to get to know each other. He takes her outside by, like, he gives her, like, this fancy, like, diadem. Do you know what diadem is? No. It's, a, it's like a circlet headband crown. Oh, yes. With, like, a thing that hangs down on her forehead. Then, yes, I do. Um, that is a protection charm. De- like, lesser demons can't touch it or they will burn to death. Um, and more powerful demons won't touch it because it's too painful. So it helps keep her safe. She has to wear it whenever she leaves the house. And he takes her out and they, like, peruse the garden because he grows human food so that the humans can eat. He has made every attempt to make sure that the humans who come here are comfortable. They just happen to be so terrified that they end up dying in a couple of days. Um, I, I, <laughs> like, I, making stupid choices. And dying in a couple of days. I'm seeing all this happen in a Wes Anderson style montage and it's delightful. (laughs) I want Wes Anderson's color palette and Orpheus's eye orbs. Right. (laughs) Anyway, so like 
he he shows her the garden and she picks her own food he has clothes for her but it's all the gowns from the previous brides who have gotten all the way to this point so uh (laughs) he offers her uh food to use as dyes so she can dye the dresses so she's not constantly wearing a white dress because she hates that and he shows her how to bundle up herbs with ribbon and bells like she asks can I do this with you? And he's really excited about the fact that she just wants to be around him mm-hmm. in any capacity. She eats her meals in the same room as him. She tolerates the bathings every single day without without any fuss. She doesn't try and kill him all of the time. And they sort of cohabitate in this weird but sweet and pleasant way. Mm-hmm. It's really, really nice. Like as I was reading it, I was like, this isn't so bad. Like it's sort of awful, but it's also not so bad. (laughs) He several times throughout the next couple of chapters, uh, really appreciates her appearance. He thinks that she's beautiful. He thinks that her body is curvy and attractive. She's like mid sized, Mm -hmm. I guess somewhere between me and my sister. My sister's a tiny thing. Um, love you. You, you're beautiful. I'm not saying you're, we're simply pointing out the size. You are just very small. The relationship that is developing between them is like incredibly complex and it's constantly flipping itself around. They're constantly going from like he's reminding her that he is a like a horrible monster who will eat her if she does the wrong thing to, you know, offering to tie her shoes for her. And like he kneels at her feet whenever he has to talk to her. He kneels to her while she's in a chair so that they're on eye level. And she really likes that. Um, I could kill you. Now give me those tootsies. Tickle. tickle. (laughs) Exactly. Um, He makes sure that she's always comfortable. He has plans to take her places because he wants her to be able to pick her own decorations for the house. He wants to make sure she's happy here and she recognizes that but she also still is intending on running away because to her this is still a prison Mm -hmm. it's just a different kind of prison than the prison she grew up in for the last 10 years but she craves freedom and the only freedom that she can see for herself is one where she's alone having said that i think she's kind of an idiot to think she could run through the veil uh, and not immediately be eaten. I was going to say, between the smell and the things that want to kill you, do you think you can do this? Uh, <laughs> uh, y- yes. No, you can't. So Orpheus is kind. He is thoughtful. He is considerate. Uh, Raya is still planning planning to flee, but she recognizes that his strange inhuman humanity, his intriguing appearance, and his twice... Uh, his twice daily bathings are starting to turn her on. Oh no. Um, because he like touches her nipples and he has to like touch her vagina every single time he has to brush his fingers through her labia and all the way up through her buttocks. And those touches while being clinical will still turn you on. Yeah. But the more comfortable she's becoming being around him, the less clinically arousing they are and the more arousing they are to her. He is deeply smitten with her. Deep this smit. point, deep smit. He is so, so into her in this really charming and auth- like earnest kind yeah. of way. I love a good earnest person. Yeah, um, earnest character. He loves that she isn't afraid of him. That she's willing to spend time around him. He also wants to spend all of his time around her. He accompanies her every day when they go out to the garden to eat because. He has cleared enough trees from the garden to get sunlight down into the veil that she spends as much time out in the sunlight as she can every day. And he sits at the edge of the sunlight and just watches to make sure that nobody's going to attack her. He wants to do anything he can to make her happy and comfortable. Then one night during the final bathing, she asks him to take his gloves off. Oh. And from his perspective, he's like, Are you sure you want to do this? Because my hands are going to freak you out. And from her perspective, she's like, I kind of want him to just touch me with his bare hands. Mm -hmm. So he does that. And this scene is in Orpheus's perspective. So we see how much, like how turned on he is by touching her body and how he takes a little extra time to wash her breasts and a little extra time to wash her her pube pubic area and how he's curious about her clitoris because he has no idea what it is and um but again 
he found it real quick. <laughs> yeah, he's, he feels that hard little nub in there every single time. It's not that hard to find, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> telling you. And he washes her all the way down to her toes, and then she doesn't, her feet aren't ticklish. And he's like, why? That usually makes you laugh. Why didn't you laugh today? I wanted to hear you <laughs> laugh. Um, but it's because she's so turned on that she's not ticklish anymore. Yeah. But he doesn't know he doesn't understand any of that. No. He doesn't understand that she could find him sexually arousing in any way. So it's really intriguing from the audience's perspective to be like, oh, she wants you. And for him to be like, I don't know, but we're done now. Goodbye. I have uh, to go. <laughs> again, more and more I'm relating to Orpheus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's uh, that scene was, let's see, what I, I, let's just read my notes here. For her part, she is incredibly turned on, but he can't tell, so he's confused by her reactions. This whole scene was a quiet seduction, and I sweating emoji. Mm, 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 mm. I was just like, whoo, I really liked that. Great job. Great job. <laughs> Opal, you did so good. And that is the end of the chapter that I stopped at. Oh, so right. it's just getting just a little oh. good and just a little sexy and the relationship is built and the world is brilliant and constantly evolving. Yeah, I can't wait to read more of it. I'm not going to push myself to read it too much. So you guys are probably going to get two more episodes out of this. Yeah. It'll be a three parter probably by the time I'm done, mm -hmm. but it's getting good and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to you uh, immersing yourself in it. it. It's, it's been, I mean, this was a, again, we've mentioned this a couple of times. This was a listener uh, suggestion. Yes. So it's been recommended to me many times, including by the uh, incredible and three quarters of the reason I am still on TikTok. See you later. Who makes the Hell's Bells series? Mm, yeah. She did uh, like what's on my bookshelf mm -hmm. and she recommended this book. So it's been on my list yeah. since then. But it, this it, is the fan art of Orpheus's. Oh, that look, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I would picture. Uh, it's just it's been very exciting to see you uh, dive into something that might not have normally been on your radar. Yeah. And and how you're you're taken to it and, and sharing little tidbits, but not too much because obviously you got to save it for the show. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited, too. I mean, I know a lot of it. A lot of it is because I see so much of you in Orpheus mm. in the way that Orpheus does not understand the world around him. But you didn't have to eat a few dozen humans to get the way you are. No. You were just born with neurodivergence. Oh, yeah. I was just an undiagnosed autistic person yeah. uh, who developed uh, some serious masking. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then had to deconstruct all of it in order to become, quite frankly, a better, better husband and definitely a better parent. Because, wow, boy, I did not understand that. Like, I thought I was like, oh, yeah, I get what being a parent's like. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can really understand what being a parent's like without spending a significant amount of time around children in a parenting capacity. Oh, exa exactly, exactly. Even and if I, and you're I'm, not their parent, but like, you know, if you're raising them in some capacity. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, but like, I, it, parenting was different for me because I'm autistic. No, parenting is different for everybody because nobody can, there's nobody that can prepare you for it. But there were just times where I'm like, hey, you you demonstrated that you already know how to do this thing, so now you need to do it every single time. Our son is five. Yeah. That does not fly. Yeah, that's not how that works at all. <laughs> but my brain is like, I've seen you do this thing one time, so now you should do it every time. No, it's not like that. No, so no, it's not. So I'm excited to see uh, what other ways I'm I'm similar to Orpheus. I don't have an exoskeleton. Uh, my eyes don't change color. No. Um, but you don't I don't have the weird dick. That I, I have seen in the fan art because it's a weird dick. No. Uh, I, I I have a perfectly Normal human penis. Normal human penis. Yep. Uh, so, sorry, listeners. Can confirm normal human penis on my <laughs> husband. <laughs> Put the weird dick alarm away. I'm going to get like a button that like sings a song whenever we have to do the weird dick. I'm just going to push the button. <laughs> push the button, Frank. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yes, I am. I am excited to continue this book. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I love Orpheus so much. In like, as a character, sure, I'm developing an like an affection for him. Mm -hmm. But the 
concept of the Duskwalker and the way that he thinks is so original to me. I've never read a monster like this before. Yeah. He's so fleshed out. He's not just a he's not just a person in a in a different body. Mm-hmm. He's an entirely different creature and it's golf claps for Opal Rain. She did so good. She did so good. Good. And, and I'm proud of her. And I I am too and I cannot wait to see where we go from here. But for now. Yes. You can find us on social media at Instagram and TikTok. We are at Cheap Smut. If you feel like you want to email us, cheapsmutpod at gmail.com. The music that we use in this episode and every episode is called Nostalgia by Makai Beats. You can find it along with thousands of other free songs for your use at the Free Music Archive, freemusicarchive.org. And I'm only just now realizing how shot my voice is. Uh, yeah, you've been sick. You can tell. Your yeah. Your voice is really tired and tonight. It, it's, it, well, it, especially right now. It's, it's, yeah. it's uh, dying, so take us home. All right, listener, if there is a book in you, write it. And if there's fucking in it, I'll read it. And then she will come on this show and explain it to me for your entertainment. Let's go rest these voices, baby. Yes, let's. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.